Less Doing, episode 111, with Ariel Garten of Interaxon. Welcome to the Less Doing podcast. Less Doing, more living, more living, more living, more living. Hi, I'm Ari Mizell, and this is the Art of Less Doing. I'm going to teach you how to optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life, including your health, in order to be more effective. I want you to stress less, free up as much time as possible, and do the things you want to do. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to episode 111. Uh, This is with Ariel Garten of the Muse. Well, it's the company called Interaxon, but they make the Muse headband. And this thing is just so cool. It's the brain sensing headband. You do a three minute exercise basically with their app each day and it helps you focus and train your brain to focus better. And it is really cool. Uh, so doing how pretty you doing, well. Felix? Yeah. How about yourself? Doing very well. Doing very well. Um, so I, I'm excited actually for this one because the Muse people are going to be at the big oh, event cool. in May. Okay. Well, I look forward to meeting with them and uh, trying this thing out. Yeah. So, well, so everyone, er, exactly. Everyone's going to get to try it out. So uh, the, the Muse is, the, the Muse is awesome. And uh, I, I'll let you hear more about it in the interview, but it's very, very cool. So in fact, maybe I'll just put it on right now just to get in the, get in the, the mode. <laughs> Um, so, so, uh, there's, why don't we actually start with a review this week? Let's do that. Okay. So this is a review by defeat the drama. And this is, I think this is an iTunes review. Um, it says this podcast is filled with great guests and valuable information, chock full of important strategies. So thank you very much, Mr. Defeat the drama or Mrs. Defeat the drama. Cool. I'd have to take guesses which one that is. But thank you very much. Short and sweet. I like it. Um, and yes, as usual, we love our iTunes reviews. So please keep them coming because not only does it give us good feedback, but it keeps us up in the rankings so that other people can enjoy the art of less doing as well. So uh, I'm going to start off with a – there was an article on Chris Gulabo's website. And Chris is uh, pretty well known, I think, in the, the blogosphere, The Art of Nonconformity. And he's basically, he wrote a book called The Happiness of Pursuit and The $100 Startup. And he's very uh, Tim Ferriss-ish. But uh, he wrote this article called Let's Talk When You're Free. And it's, it's, barely, it's barely an article. It's really short. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and it says, uh, productive people are never, quote unquote, free. They don't have 15 minutes on their lunch break to have a quick call. They don't kill time. So uh, I really like this, actually, because it's true. And I think this is even more apparent when, when, now that I have kids. But it's true. There really isn't a lot of free time. And there, there shouldn't be because in your free time, you should be using that to you know, work on stuff that you want to do. And I, I, the idea of free time is, is kind of a misnomer, I think. So I just it, it was very short. I just think it was – I liked it. So I thought it was pretty cool. Busy people, productive people are never free. <laughs> Okay, so uh, price jump is one I want to mention. Price jump, price jump is a new app and a, a website where you can put in a product and get price comparison on it. But which a lot of websites do, of course. But what this one does is it'll show you a comparison of online stores and also local oh, stores wow. around you, which is really really cool. So yeah, because you know 
yes, you're usually going to find it cheaper online, but there's times when maybe it's two dollars more in a local store, but you can go get it right then and there, and it makes yeah, sense exactly. to just do that. Yeah, that's a big big issue, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. So this is going to give you both, which uh, I really like. So price jump. And, uh, you know, I, I tried it on a couple things. I tried it on a couple books and a couple toys and things, and it, and it seemed to work really well. And what I actually found, which was funny, is that the price the, the price was, was the exact same on a couple things, whether it was online mm-hmm. or in person. Uh, and then there were a couple times when it was like within 2 or $3. And again, you know, if you want it, Right then and there, or even if it's just on your on your way home or something, then you might as well just get it. Yeah, right. In person. Uh, okay, so there is a, a couple websites that I, I want to put out there, and I'm really curious to hear people's thoughts on them. But one is called Gigster, uh, Gigster, and it's trygigster.com. And basically, you can hire a quality developer for your project in under five minutes. So. This is, it's outsourcing. It's kind of like Elance, except that it's very specific in that it's already, they're pre-vetted and basically you can get somebody working on it in under five minutes, which is kind of amazing. You know, so instead of you having to put a bid out there and wait for people to respond to it and then get on it, like it's something that you just want to get done right away. You can get someone under five minutes. They're pre-vetted, high-quality developers on demand. And, you know, I love on demand. So you need somebody to work on your app or to do something on a website or, or to create something from scratch. You can get somebody immediately. And they've, you know, apparently, yeah, and apparently, like, they're getting people from uh, Cornell and MIT in here and uh, California Institute of Technology. That's Caltech, right? I believe so. Well, so they're, they're getting developers from some good places. So essentially, they're ready to go. They're ready to work on your project. And I think this is, this is pretty cool. And you can talk to someone right away. So you can discuss the project okay. and see if it makes sense. But the, you, I couldn't find anything about the pricing on this one. Do you know anything about that? No. And that's, you know, I think that that's probably part of the discussion. Uh, there, there's not, it doesn't seem that there's fixed pricing, but my guess is that it's going to be comparable to something that you might find on Elance, except that in this case, they've got like a pool of them that are ready to go that's and cool. work on things. So, uh, the next website or the next service I found is called gig sky. And this, this is travel related. So, uh, we mentioned uh, a service a couple weeks ago where you could use your own phone number while traveling and have calls forwarded to it and from it. This is for data. So basically, you get a GigSky SIM card that you put in your in your phone, and then there's an app that goes along with it, both for iPhone and for the Android. And basically, wherever you are, you just tell on the app, you tell it what country you're in, and you've got data, basically. So in that local place. And data ends up being a lot more expensive than anything else in some cases. Whereas a phone call, you can be like, all right, I'm just going to talk for one minute. And yeah, it's $5 a minute, but like it's one minute. Whereas with data, you're never really sure if that file you're sending or the website you're looking at is going to be, you know, five megs or yeah, 200 right. megs, you right. know, and, and the, yeah, so data ends up being really expensive when you do this. So this is this this makes it so that basically wherever you travel, you get local a local data plan right really away, clever. which is really cool. That's worth that's worth a lot. Yeah, yeah, and and also you know it's almost more useful in some ways because if you have data, at least you could do Skype. You know, so you don't necessarily need the phone call ability as much right. as you might need the right. data. Um, okay, so now there is a website called Vite.in. And this is a scheduling application or a scheduling service. 
and it's it's lacking one very big feature, but it does seem to have something that I, that is really helpful. The feature that is lacking is I and I still love schedule once for this that you can have a public facing appointment page. You know, anybody who wants to can go to meetme.so slash arim and schedule an appointment with me. Anybody can do that. What this does is it makes it really easy to schedule with a group. And that's the other side of the coin. And you can't do that with schedule once, you know, so you can't be like, I need these three people to make an appointment and make it match up with their schedules. So this is not offering, Vite is not offering that public facing appointment page, but it does let you basically create a group invite right from your calendar. And you can see when various people are busy that are on your team when you make the suggestion and then it all gets booked and it all goes into your calendar. And if so, it's, it's a really slick interface. It's mobile ready. And if the person is not using the service, Vice, it still will work with them. So uh, I think this is actually really great if you need, whether you're doing something for business or you want to just you know, schedule yeah, a dinner with that friends. Is, that's great. I like the fact that you don't have to be using it to, to you know, and that's a big deal. That helps a lot. Well, it's a big source of stress and, and lack of productivity for people because the average number of emails required to schedule a meeting is seven, which is really ridiculously inefficient. Um, so it, this this can make it, you know, zero emails wow. possibly. Yeah. Okay. So um, then the last article I want to mention is it's a, there was an article in uh, it was on CNN actually. It was called "Is College Worth the Cost." And basically, it was talking about how student debt, student loan debt in the United States has grown to over $1.2 trillion, and tuition increases have continued to nearly triple the rate of inflation. And this is based on a study by the Brookings Institution that, well, sorry, it's not based on it, but the Brookings Institution said that the impact of student loans may not be as dire as many commentators fear. And this sparked a whole sort of thing basically because first of all the Brookings study was totally messed up and and I'll explain why but basically the student loan problem the student loan debt problem is a very very big problem and there was a a guy on NPR that I heard a few months ago actually and he was saying how in the 70s he was making the same eight dollars per hour that you know some college graduates are making now when they go and work at fast food restaurant or wherever they might work and they're making, you know, just above minimum wage. He's like, but the thing was when he was making $8 an hour in the seventies, he was able to pay for school. He was able to pay for a car and he was able to pay his rent. But now, you know, all those costs have tripled and the, the, the income has not gone along with it. So what, but this is not arguing that, that, you know, there needs to be a better wage or people need to make more money. It's, it's really that this whole idea of student loan debt is just, it's just kind of shocking. And actually, I feel like what is your experience with this? You know, since you went to school in in, in Europe for the majority of your education, it, like people don't go into debt for school in Europe. Well, they didn't used to. They they're doing it now. I was actually the last person to not go into um, to get a free ride, a completely free ride. Um, so it hasn't really been sort of part of the mentality, but um, there is a. People are um, now paying for college in the UK. Um, I don't know exactly what the rates are or how they compare, but it's my impression that it's still nothing like the rates that um, that that they charge in this country. Um, but I'm just looking on my inflation calculation app here, and eight dollars in 1975 
has the same buying power as $33 in 2011. So that gives you an idea as to what that guy was talking about. Well, no, the, to me, the idea of putting someone into debt in order to get educated and better themselves and hopefully earn more money is, is, is kind of ludicrous, especially when you look at the economic problems and, and all the problems that we're facing in the world right now. It's like everybody could benefit from being more educated, and yet we're making it so, so hard for people, I feel like, it's, at and least also, in this country. And, I mean, to, to graduate with... You know, and also there's the fact that... Um, go ahead. There's this now having a graduate degree is just not enough for most jobs. You have to have a master's degree, and there's this sort of ridiculous requirement of um, the amount of college training you need for a job that for jobs that you, uh, or rather for skills that you can't really learn in college, from what I can tell, anyway. Yeah, that's the thing is they, they, they want you to have more education, but then the skills you actually need, they're not teaching in college to some extent. So, you know, it's like my, my very, very little example is that, you know, I, I majored in real estate development or real estate when I went to Warden and I, I got a C minus in real estate development, which has technically been my career for the majority of my adult life, which I think I've been fairly successful at. But the things that I've done, you know, I never learned it in college, you know, and so it's... It, it, it's just—it's always something that kind of bugs me, and I don't have student loan debt, which I'm very fortunate, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. But uh, so, what this article was saying, or what the study was saying, the Brookings Institute study basically said that it's not a big problem; that uh, it's really over, overblown, and the, the the student loan debt issue is not that big problem. But as with every medical study that you and I discuss, there's a lot of problems with this Brookings study. So one big admission was that. Uh, 70% of the class of 2014 graduated with an average debt of $33,000 mm -hmm. per borrower. Right? So they didn't put that in there for some reason. They didn't, they didn't look at that. They were looking at basically people who, who they, looked, they looked at the last like 20 years. They didn't look at that. So they looked at between 1990 and 2010, which is what they define as young households. So that's people who are now 20 mm -hmm. to 40 years old. But the thing is, is that people who graduated People who graduated in the early 90s, the average debt at that time was less than half of what it is today. So, and, and also, it, the, the 90s was a totally different time anyway. There was, I mean, it's just, it doesn't, that's a weird time to look at. Like to look mm -hmm. at a 20 year period and then say, like, stu student loan debt now is not an issue, it, it really doesn't cool. seem to make much sense. But then the, the biggest oversight, the biggest oversight in the study was that they didn't include borrowers who are not paying, who are not making monthly payments. So they didn't include anybody who's in default or who uh, hasn't right. made a payment at all. So there's like a whole bunch of people who aren't even able to make their payments wow. in the first yeah. place. So the study is ridiculous, honestly. And, and basically, it is a real problem. But then this also goes back to the question again, which is the start of the article, is, is college worth it? And what seems to be the, the, a sort of general feeling is that unless you're going to go into something institutional or something like medical legal or really analytical or, or science, you know, like if you're going to go into finance and you need to obviously be able to do a lot of analysis or you're going into uh, medicine or, or law, like, yes, obviously you have to go through that path and that's worth it. But for other things, it's, it's becoming a lot more difficult to justify 
the value of the education in college. Now, that's not to say that the experience of college is not important because I will I can say from my, again from my experience that my education, my academic aspect of college to me would probably was not you know a, a tenth as valuable as all of the other stuff that I did. And I'm not talking about partying. I'm talking about like student government and helping to form new companies with other people and helping to work on student government, that kind of stuff, and the extracurricular stuff. And sports, if you're into that. But those are the things that I think are, are, are probably very valuable. But again, it's also harder to justify the cost of those. So it's a really difficult yeah. question. And it, 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 I think it becomes very, very individual. It is. It is very individual. And in my 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 wife and I have discussed so, at length as to what you know whether it's worth going to you know a private college versus a state college you know because there's a big price tag difference there and in my personal observations uh I I can note looking at my friends the people who've done really well it purely comes down to themselves as an individual they would go doesn't matter what college they would have gone to they would have ex- they would have excelled i believe it's not a, because they did or didn't have an ivy league education you know yeah absolutely absolutely um so anyway you know one, uh, another you know unusually big topic yeah, for quite. us to discuss on this podcast but it's something yeah. that i thought was relevant uh, as you look at you know how you start a company, how you be efficient, how you spend your time, and how you look yeah. at the value of your time. So, anyway, um, everyone, thank you so much for listening in. And please, uh, you know, we love feedback. I say that because I'm blue in the face, but I do want to hear it as much as we can. So, either if that's in the form of giving us uh, reviews on iTunes, or again, now we fix it so that you can you can find the recording button much more easy easily to find on I'm sorry on the contact page let's doing you can find the recording button so that you can send in a question for us to discuss here so uh, until next time unless you have anything else um, please send in the audio questions yes please go and record that so lessdoing.com and then click on contact and uh, you should see the link right there and now for feature interview So now I'm speaking with Ariel Garden, who is the CEO of Interaxon and has been called the Brain Guru CEO. So Ariel, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. My pleasure, Ari. Happy to be here. So you guys create the Muse Brain Sensing Headband. So tell everyone what that is, first of all. Sure. So Muse is a four-channel EEG. It's a wearable fitness device that tracks your brain activity in real time, sends it to your smartphone or tablet, and gives you exercises that can help improve your cognitive function and decrease your stress. Great. Okay. So that's, I love that elevator pitch version of it. So now what, and I have one, thanks to very much to you guys, and I, I love it, actually. I think it's such a, an interesting device, and, and I have some technical questions I want to get into, but first of all, how did you get to, how did, how did this become an interest of yours, and how did the development of the project start? Oh, man, how can the brain not be an interest? Right. So my background <laughs> is in neuroscience and design, and I was a kid who was just fascinated with how the world worked, and then I discovered that you can actually learn how people work in some small way, and that became an even grander fascination. Um, so I wanted to, along with my team, Trevor and Chris, my co-founders, build a product that was going to help you understand your own mind, and then even better than understanding it, actually help you improve it. 
Okay, so then how, what did the first, I mean, what did the first iteration of the Muse look like or, or do? <laughs> so we started working in brain sensing technology well over a decade ago in the lab of Dr. Steve Mann. So those first iterations were um, a stretchy band that I sewed myself with Velcro on the back with um, low sensor count EEGs embedded into it and a fiber optic cable that went to an ISA card and an ancient computer um, and that was a pretty darn heavy setup that we would take around to do things like concerts where people could make music with their mind. It uh, obviously went through a lot of evolution from there. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, so the one now is, uh, and, you know, most of your profile pictures I've noticed have you wearing it. It's very sleek. It, it basically looks like you're wearing a pair of headphones backwards. So you have the, the band going in front of you instead of behind you or like a, a sort of, a, I guess, more like a set of sports headphones. Um, so first of all, what, what are the four brainwaves that you're tracking for people, you know, on an obvious level? So we, sure. Uh, well, so it's a four channel device, which means that we read uh, two sensors on your forehead, two sensors by your, temp- um, by your temporal lobe above your ears. Um, but we read a whole range of brainwave activities. So we read brainwaves from half a hertz up to a hundred hertz. And that where it breaks down into typical bands of delta, theta, alpha, beta, and gamma. Um, so it's not just that we are reading four brands of, bands of brain activity. Right. Sorry, that, that, that was, I misspoke there. Um, okay, so, and then what are those different wavelengths typically associated with? You know, what kinds of, like, gamma is pretty much associated with, uh, like, deep meditative states, right? Or am I getting that backwards? No, no, you're, you're good. <laughs> so gamma can be associated with meditative states um, and high concentration. Um, in previous literature, gamma was part of the theories around consciousness. Gamma was part of the binding principle that bound all of your, the percepts of your attention into a conscious moment. Um, this is not from a spiritual perspective. It's not spiritual consciousness resonance. This is just the things that bring the percepts of your attention into your, you know, conscious perception. Um, that theory is kind of gone by the wayside, but it's still, um, well recognized in, in attention. Um, beta is really cognitive processing. Um, beta can be associated with anxiety and it's also associated with working on problems, particularly in your frontal lobe. So reading, cogitating, mathematics, etc. Um, interestingly, if you ask a engineer to do a math problem, you're not going to see much of a rise in beta. If you see, if you ask an art student to do the same problem, you're probably going to see beta go through the roof. Alpha is associated both with relaxation and with focus. Um, so an increase in alpha leads to a decrease in external sensory processing, which means, one, that you have less information come in. So you are in a more relaxed state. It is um, a state that you see in um, as you're entering into first, first stage sleep, so as you're in bed relaxing. It also means, if you have a decrease in external sensory processing, that you are having less objects to attend on in your environment. So you're not listening to as many sounds. You're not picking up a thousand little um, distractions around you. Um, so interestingly, alpha is correlated with both of those states. Um, delta is um, a deep sleep, and theta is correlated with both um, dream state and some meditative states. Okay. So now the, the current iteration, or at least what I've seen with the app that you have, you're really focused on helping people become calmer and more focused, right? 
Mm-hmm. So now why, well, I mean, it's sort of an obvious question, I guess, but why choose that instead of, you know, like there's, uh, there's other, not brain sensing necessarily, but there's other sort of technologies that are really focused on making you like hyper-focused and not necessarily making you agitated or stuff, but do you sort of see being calm and being focused as like the same thing kind of, or is it the same thing? Um, so being calm and being focused are the same thing in some important ways. Um, so one is around the characteristics of alpha that we now understand. You know, previously it was thought that beta was focused and you hear a lot of literature, oh, your beta is up, you're focused. Well, it just means your beta is up. That means your brain is working hard. Is that a good thing? Not necessarily. Right. Um, and then when you look at the mindfulness and meditation literature, what you're discovering is when you, for example, meditate, you are actually building states of focused attention. So although most of us experience meditation as an act that is very calming, um, what you're really doing during that time is teaching yourself to build focus. And when you build focus, you do two important things. You increase your focus, which is obviously a good thing. Um, And you also decrease the outside distractions that cause stress and anxiety. So all the things that pull at you moment by moment, the email going, your phone going, your kids crying, all of that is obviously stressful and distracting. Um, The internal distractions can be even worse. So every time you have a negative thought that causes you anxiety, like, oh, I'm not good enough, or oh, no, it's going to be late and they're not going to like me, um, or you have negative feelings that come up, um, both those kinds of distractions um, are things that cause us immense amount of stress. That's actually kind of the core of where our stress and anxiety comes from. The thoughts and feelings that we have caused by, triggered by the external stuff that that, um, that brings them up. And so when you build your state of focused attention, what you're able to do is be much more resilient to those internal and external distractions, leading to less stress. Gotcha. Well, and that's a very uh, elegant explanation for it, honestly. Now, what kind of things have you done personally? I know that there's been rec- there's recommendations in the app and stuff, but personally, what have you done to improve your focus, improve your calm that you've seen you know measurable results from? I know this is a kind of stupid and obvious answer, but Muse. Prior to Muse, I was one of those distracted people. I was certain I had ADD, um, being a neuroscientist. It was very you know I would go through the through the standard like DSM tests for ADD and I'd be like, yep, yep, that's me. And then I started, I started musing. I was somebody who could never meditate. I would just sit down and my mind would just start wandering to the point where it would cause me frustration and I couldn't engage it. And through musing, I was really able to train my focused attention in a way that was really powerful. And in the past, if there was any little sound in the office, I'd be like, hey guys, shut the F up. I'm trying to focus here and it's not working. And now stuff goes on around me and it doesn't matter because I'm just engaged in what's in front of me without being pulled away by it. And, and so you're saying just using the app itself is that so you haven't had to learn how to breathe better or to meditate or to focus on something or is it really just through using the app itself? Through using the app itself and then using the app itself creates a kind of dialogue and a gateway. Uh, um, so obviously no one solution is is an amazing solution. The world is filled with tools and techniques that you can learn and you can apply. But once you once you start down one path, it then opens you to recognize that there are other solutions within that methodology that work. So when you start using, 
you start to realize, okay, I can focus my mind and I don't need to be distracted by this thing. And then you start to recognize, okay, well, I'm not, my mind's not going down this path and I'm not, you know, I'm not buying into this. Oh yeah, that kind of sounds like that stuff that somebody told me about meditation in the past. It didn't really make any sense. So I couldn't understand how you would, you know, shut down your mind. But now I kind of get how I can actually direct my focus attention. And that whole part of meditation now makes sense to me. Um, so I can start listening to those things or, you know, read those authors and the things that they're saying can resonate because now I, I have a tool that allows me to understand how that can apply. Sure. And so it's really interesting because when I, so I, I, I mean, I've been using the, the, the headband and the app since you were so kind as to give it to me to try out at the uh, Bulletproof conference, I, I think almost a month ago. Um, but I just did a session right before we got on here because I wanted to have some fresh numbers and I was in a three minute session. I was calm for 96 seconds. I was neutral for 63 seconds and I was active for only 21 seconds, which is kind of amazing where your, 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 your goal is to not have an active mind. Uh, so I, I was very happy with that. And what's so interesting to me is I feel like I I've learned how to control stress and my mind quite well, but with without people having seen the way the app works, you know, you're, you are supposed to sort of close your mind, your eyes and, and listen to the, the audio cues and stuff. But anytime I open my mind, my eyes and I saw the countdown timer that immediately made my mind go active. And it was really mm-hmm. it was it's always interesting to me to see that because I heard my wife's footsteps on the staircase. I heard one of my dogs barking and none of those things had an, had made my mind go active. But just looking at that countdown timer immediately made my mind go active. And it's again, it's really interesting to kind of learn those cues. Like, what is it that's, you know, the shiny object that's getting your attention? Yeah, I was I was uh, sitting with somebody the other day and watching their news session. And the cool thing about news is you as the user hear the sound of your mind. So when you're thinking, distracted, ruminating, worried, you hear the winds pick up. Yes. And then there's an interface in front of you where you can actually, where somebody else could see your mind if they so chose to, um, or you still allow them to. And the sky is clear when you are in a state of focused attention and it's windy, there's clouds on it, when your mind is wandering. So I was sitting next to someone and she was musing and it was clear, 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 clear. And then all of a sudden a storm came up. And then, you know, she fought it down and then we looked back at her data and you could see, you know, in her data lines, down, 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 down. And then there's this peak and I pointed to it and I said, you know, what happened there for you? And she just sort of shook her head. She's like, that's my bugaboo. That's that thought that gets me every time. And it, you know, it was in such a great place. And then here comes that thought and I'm like, oh man, I got to climb back up and climb back down that mountain. And, you know, she, she knew it, she knew when it was, you know, she knew when it was coming. She knows that's the thing that she needs to work on. And I sitting outside of her, just, just observing her could actually see the moment when she had that disturbing thought, that thing that always is her own hot button. It was phenomenal. Yeah. That, and sometimes what I find with, with most activities, whether it's sleep tracking or uh, rescue time to track your work, just the awareness alone is sometimes enough to make a significant change without you having to actively do anything. Indeed. Of, of course, that um, that awareness then prompts you to internally do a whole bunch of things, but it feels right. like you're not doing anything. Right. Yes, not of course. Um, right. No, of course. <laughs> but it but it triggers a whole set of processes that lets you work on it. So 
What are some of the plans for the future in terms of what you're going to do with either the physical device or the apps itself or other apps? What's the future look like? Um, so Muse right now comes with Muse Calm, um, which is the beautiful app that you described that you've been using. Muse Calm is going to grow and change over time. So in uh, early next year, you're going to see a new release of Muse, um, and it's going to be rich content in a way that grows and builds and changes. So it becomes this place where um, it kind of is your go-to for, for things to do with your mind. Okay, cool. Uh, and, you know, the... the the headband itself is obviously very sensitive and I notice, you know, if you move around too much or anything, it sort of loses contact. Is there any plans for that for making, I don't know, like an active version? Because I could see using this for like golf or for chess or, you know, for certain things where you might want to move a little bit more. So EEG is very sensitive to um, movement and muscle activity. So we'd be lying if we said we could make one that you could wear while you were running. Um, there is, um, so the best that you can do with any EEG is, is use it in a state where you're not moving. We're reading extraordinarily quiet signals that have to be amplified by very sensitive amplifiers. Um, okay. So, yeah, you, you don't want EEG from somebody who tells you you can move around while you wear it. Okay, well, I, I mean, theoretically, well, I mean, more than theoretically, you, uh, you should be able to benefit in that activity from the work you do with the Muse while you are being quiet and calm, I would assume. Precisely. <laughs> yeah. Totally. So uh, one of the things that one of the metrics that I've talked about a lot on the podcast that I've interviewed people about before, and I'm, I'm curious to hear sort of a, a comparison for you is, is HRV, you know, or heart rate variability, which is which is one of the sort of gold standards that people use for trying to manage and control their stress. And one of the things that you can track and sort of control. So how, how what's sort of the interaction, if there is one that you've seen between like heart rate variability and EEG activity? Uh, there's a really nice tracking between the two. Um we actually, we can often see heartbeat in EEG, so we can, uh, on the same device, get a direct correlation. It's, it's one of those artifacts that you can then use to be a, um, um, turn into a positive. Um, it, the day before my wedding, I did a Muse session, and you could just see my heart beating in my Muse session. You could actually, like, literally see my heart in my ear. Um, <laughs> It's really cute. Um, and so we found great correlation um, between HRV with using books like HeartMath and a lot of the other wonderful um, HRV sensors on the market. We're also starting to look at correlation between breath with books like Spire. Um, we also, there's very interesting things that happen to your um, EEG patterns during breathing. And you can see uh, in one's EEG the ebb and flow of breath as well. Okay. Well, and so obviously there, I mean, there's a loop there, right? Because the brain controls, the heart controls the brain, you know, the vagus nerve and, and breathing and all that stuff. So, um, how, how much, like, do you, do you really need to use all of those to get sort of a full picture? Or, I mean, you, you sort of answered this, you know, you said you could see your heartbeat in your, in your EG, but you know, how much of that is cause and effect? Like, how, is there a way to sort of correlate that or can you use the data somehow to do that? Uh, you can you can absolutely correlate it. Um, I think it's it's maybe more of a philosophical question whether it, which is causal. Sure, right, of course. Well, okay. So the the last question that I always like to ask on the podcast is, what are your top three personal tips for people to be more effective? And you know, this could be from anything that you've learned from being a startup or from neuroscience or anything like that. But any any three things that you think can help people be more effective. Sure. My top number one tip without question is learn to manage the voices in your head. 
we all have this amazing little being in our head called the inner critic. And it comes to us with um, fascinating and frightening things all day long. It tells you things that blatantly are not true. Like you are not good enough. You will not be capable of this. They will not like you. Your hair looks stupid. Um, all of us, I'm sure had a visit from this demon this morning at some point. Um, and those of us who are high performing, I'm a card carrying member of the Overachievers Anonymous right here. We tend to believe the voice in our head or at the very least believe that we need to use that voice in your head in order to help you achieve. We're like, yeah, but that voice pushes me to do better. It pushes me to not accept, you know, the mediocrity of life or, um, but in reality, every time you hear that voice, it's not motivating, it's demotivating. Like imagine your mom yelling at you to clean your bed and just how much you want to do it. Um, versus looking at your bed and saying, hey, wouldn't this look beautiful if I just made it? And then you do it and then you feel great as opposed to feeling um, like your agency has been removed and you are merely a cog in a chain that is bad child and not done effectively enough. Um, so number one tip, quiet voice in your head. Uh, number two tip would actually be don't believe whatever it says to you. And number three tip is you do not need it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I like that. Um, well, those are those are really good tips, and I, I seriously recommend that people try Muse because this is a this is a metric most people don't get to track, honestly. Because heart rate monitors have been out of there out forever, and you can count your breaths, but you can't see your brain waves unless you have a device like this, and it gives you a level of granularity that I haven't seen from kind of any other tracking device for the body that I've ever tested. So I love it and I highly recommend people try it out. So where can people find out more about the device and hopefully get it? Awesome. So anyone can go to choosemuse.com, find out more about the device there. And we also ship out of amazon.com. So choose Muse or Amazon and choose Muse has tons of resources and also feel free to contact us directly community at interaxon.ca for any questions you've got. Great. Well, Ariel, thank you so much for your time. That's been awesome. Thank you, Ari. Totally my pleasure. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing Podcast. If you want to find out more information of the show, we would love to hear from you. You can go to lessdoing.com where you can look at Ari's blog, see the show notes for this episode, and also look at all the other episodes before this. If you want to send us a voicemail, we would love to hear from you and we'll play it on the show. You go to lessdoing.com, click on contact, and look on the right side of the page where you'll see a, a send voicemail button. Click on that and go ahead and record an audio message for us. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter. Ari's Twitter handle is at Ari Mizell, and mine is at Felix Bird. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. See you next time.